Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Greetings and a very warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in to By the Word of Their Testimony. This is a program where we share the life journey of people like you and me and how through challenges and trials and opportunities and the providences of God their lives have been impacted for good and for the glory of God. Now, dear listener, you are actually part of a new experience for us here at 3ABN Australia Radio. We are hooked up via Skype to halfway around the world to the country of Uganda. And our special guest via Skype today is Linnell Cassie. Linnell, welcome to the program. Hi, Etienne. Thank you. It's wonderful to have some contact with Australia. Yeah, well, look, it's, it's our pleasure. And uh, this uh, Skype is working very well. You're coming through loud and clear. And I know that the people who are going to listen to this program will be blessed by you sharing your testimony today. But you are not a stranger to this part of uh, Australia. You uh, previously lived in New South Wales, didn't you? I did. I lived um, in New South Wales for about... 30 years, actually. Okay, that's a um, fair chunk of your life. Yes, around the Kurumbong Central Coast area, I've worked there most of my adult life. I went to Avondale College um, there in Kurumbong, and I kind of never left. <laughs> uh, okay, right, understand. And we, of course, are just around the corner. We're in Morissette. That's where our studios are. But you are not living in Australia in the comforts of Australia at the moment. You're in Uganda. What are you doing in Uganda? I am. My life is completely turned upside down, really, from what it was before. Um, and it's a wonderful thing, really. Um, here in Uganda, I'm working in a holistic ministry um, with an organisation that I formed with um, an associate called Paradigm Missions. Okay. And what what it seeks to do is exactly what its name suggests. So a paradigm is an example, a way of doing things. Mm. And I believe Jesus presented a paradigm, a way of life. He didn't just send us a book, the Bible. He actually came in person and he dwelt amongst us. And he demonstrated the love of the Father. Yes. So he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, clothing the naked. All of this is part of his ministry. Mm. And he actually treated people with love and compassion as well as teaching the gospel by word of mouth. And that's what Paradigm Missions does. Okay. So it's doing all of those things. And we've got a four-branch ministry here to accomplish that role. So we do development work, we do education, 
we do health and of course we do very specific gospel work as well okay four branches and i'm sure we'll be able to elaborate on that a little bit further as we uh, as we go through this program but maybe you could Mm. just tell us uh you know where you started life where were you born I was born in Sydney, which is quite interesting because I've never lived in Sydney. My parents were missionaries and had had um, my two older brothers overseas when they were in mission service. And my mother always wanted to have one baby at the sand, and that was me. So she so organised to baby. be there. <laughs> okay. Well, I think she was the lucky mother. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, oh wow. So you were born at the sand. You had two children yeah, at the sand as well. Yes, it's a lovely experience. Mm. It's Interesting. A My wife was also, um, no, she wasn't born. Her two eldest siblings were born at the sand. And she always used to say they were born in the sand because she was a little kid and couldn't understand how they were born in the sand. But anyway. <laughs> you know, that's a very funny thing because traveling around to different places, people would say, Where were you born? And I used to say, I was born in the sand in a trailer. And my parents used to say that I was a turtle because I was born in the sand in a trailer because we lived overseas. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was my childish version of the sand in Australia. <laughs> mm. So when you were born in a trailer, where were your parents at the time? <laughs> um, they were actually working in Maxville. My dad started the Maxville Seventh Adventist School. And then from there, when I was still quite young, we moved to New Zealand and he started another school there. Okay, so you've and lived in New Zealand as well? Yes, I would consider myself one of the lucky people who have um, lived in New Zealand. I went there and did most of my schooling there, and it's a beautiful place. Yes, it is. Okay, so where in New Zealand were you at the time and where did you do your schooling? Um, We were in the North Island in Hamilton and in Auckland. So it wasn't really too dramatic. It was um, pretty close together and it it was great. Mm, fantastic. So you you, uh, you spent a fair few uh, years in New Zealand then doing your schooling, a lot of your schooling there. And then what yes. What brought you over to Australia? Was it just a move from the, the family? The parents had to come back for work? Or? Yes, um, my parents transferred to the South Queensland Conference and so I ended up finishing off high school in Brisbane and from there I went to Avondale. <laughs> right. Okay. Now, just uh, what you told me previously about your parents, you sent me a little email. They were missionaries. Actually, your grandparents were missionaries in India in the 30s and 40s. Then your parents followed in their shoes, and they were missionaries in New Guinea. And, then, of course, they spent some time in New Zealand and then came back to South Queensland. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I never got to be a missionary with my parents. They came back from Papua New Guinea before I was born they really wanted us to have good educational opportunities and so they felt it was best to do that in Australia or New Zealand but the minute I finished my high school um, career Hmm. my parents went straight back out and did mission service so they went to Fiji they kind of sat me down one day and they said "Um, we're really proud of you we know you you're going to have a really good life. And um, by the way, we're going 
to Fiji. Good luck. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, so they they left they left the coop, so to speak, and you were uh, left here in Australia. Yeah, one way to get an empty nest. Yeah, wow. Very quickly. Mm, I can imagine. <laughs> but, but they did a great job. I had amazing parents. They really equipped me well for life in so many ways, especially spiritually. I, You know, a lot of people have a time of rebellion. I never had that. My parents were just fantastic. They emulated Jesus to me. They gave me lots of life skills and career opportunities. So I've mm. been very blessed. Yeah, that is a real blessing. You know, we occasionally have people that come on our program that have a similar story to yours that have lived a good, consistent life. You know, they haven't got into all the bad stuff that many others have done or they haven't been quite as rebellious as, as some people have been, uh, including myself. And uh, they just have a, a great testimony simply because of the prayers and the dedication of their parents and the influence mm. of their parents. So their parents lived Christianity to them and obviously had a very positive influence. Well, I can just hear the rooster in the background there in your, <laughs> or in Uganda. Yes, they go all day long. So it doesn't matter <laughs> what time other- of the day? No, it doesn't. There's about 60 chickens here. So, yeah, that's life. Wow. So, well, anyway, so it's very different to what you had here in Australia, but you went to Avondale and studied at Avondale yes. College, and you studied, was it um, education you were studying there? I did teaching at Avondale, and then later on I went back and I did a Master of Ministry. So I've kind of got both of those branches behind me. Oh, okay. Teaching and a Master of Ministry. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, so after you got your qualifications, what did you do then? So, wow. I had already been teaching piano. I qualified for that when I was quite young, Mm. fortunately, and sort of paid my way through Avondale was piano teaching, which was helpful. Very helpful. And that continued. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that continued. Um, then I started teaching in a Baptist school on the Central Coast, and okay. that was a, an amazing experience for me who'd been in a very sheltered Adventist environment. I realized then that um, my world really revolved around my church life. Mm. And, um, and I actually had to learn how to think a little differently and how to have conversations that weren't just talking about what was going on at church, mm. <laughs> which is bizarre, but that yeah. that was my life. Um, and I learned a lot there. I got to see some really godly people who just really loved big on kids. And mm. it was, it was very much a learning process for me. I, I loved it. I was really drawn to that. Okay. Um, from from there, I had kids of my own, and um, and I pretty much devoted myself to the task of being a mom. And I I sort of worked in and out of school throughout that time I got involved in women's ministries for North New South Wales conference and that was a really wonderful time I loved that and so hence I pursued the ministry part more Um, and I think I really dug deeper into the word in that time especially Mm. 
Okay. <laughs> well, fascinating. So you, you, you did leave teaching for a little while, raised your children, but still had that ministry connection. But I just want to ask, it sounds like a beautiful, rosy picture, and uh, no doubt it was <laughs> because you obviously, you know, followed in the footsteps of your parents and followed their example. Were there any like secular or other influences or things that, you know, would come across people's pathway as, as they do? that, uh, you know, may have had an influence in your life as well that you sort of uh, had to walk away from or deny? Or was it was it as good as you told it was? Look, I don't think anyone's life is really rosy. I think mm. probably the things that make us really dig deeply into the Word and into building a strong relationship with Jesus are always really out of hardship. Mm. And... And the harder the situation, I think, the more profound that is. Um, I don't know if we're just stupid as human beings that we function that way. Mm. But when things are rosy, we tend to rely on ourselves. Isn't that true? And and my life was pretty comfortable, you know. Things went pretty well. But there were some really major challenges that, that made me sit up and take stock. And I remember one day, quite a long time ago, it'd be, oh, nearly 20 years ago, not quite, maybe 15, I said to God, you know, I love you and I serve you and all of that, but if you really want a close relationship with me, I'm just busy. You're going to have to wake me up early. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Never say that unless you mean it because (laughs) I tell you, at 4 a.m., bam, my eyes were open and God was saying, good morning, I'm here. Wow. So how <laughs> long? that it... happened for years. Really? So you, you prayed that prayer reasonably early in your life and God would meet with you every morning. That reminds me of that text where it says that he waketh me morning by morning. It's exactly like that. Um, and... It was a beautiful time because it was quiet. There were no distractions. You know, the phone doesn't ring. The kids aren't beckoning to you for the attention. And we just had a wonderful time building relationship, God and I. Isn't that incredible that the king of the universe is wanting to have that intimate relationship with us as if there's not another person on this planet? Yeah. Yeah, mm. and it was like that. It was like I had God's undivided attention, like I really was the only person on the face of the earth. And I know that's not true, but certainly he he was present totally in the moment with me, and it was wonderful. Mm. It still is wonderful. Yes. I don't know why I'm saying past tense. Sure, it but began you, wonderful and it still is. <laughs> well, praise, praise God. Yeah, well, it, it starts good. And, uh, you know, sometimes people can't say it continues good. But the fact is God doesn't change and sometimes we can get distracted. But those early mornings are very important. I find the same as you just mentioned there, that if you have that time mm-hmm. before anybody else is stirring in the home, um, you just have that quiet time with God. And then whatever happens subsequent to that and the rest of the day, it's fine. Because if, if I wake up late and I don't have that time with God, I know personally my day is not as good as it is. And also, even if challenges come, because you know whether you have the relationship with God or not doesn't mean there's no challenges, but you just don't deal mm. with them as well. You're just not as patient as you would be otherwise if you've had that time with God. Yeah, 
It's true. It shapes our personality. And I guess, you know, I learned a lot in prayer in that time as well Mm. as in my reading that prayer wasn't about me asking God for a bunch of stuff. Yeah. That prayer was actually a two-way street and that it was about me aligning my will with him and him Mm, revealing what his will was. And um, I remember I was in a prayer group uh, maybe two years in at school and there was a lady there who constantly spoke while you were praying and it bothered me so much. It was like having static on the phone Mm. where you just can't hear because there's this constant static. Yeah. And um, I've had several experiences where I've been in a situation where I've been praying and there's this constant babble and noise and it it bothers me because how can I have prayer when I can't hear the voice of God? So hopefully that was uh, that was resolved because I mean that that static can get in the way sometimes, can't it? <laughs> <laughs> it 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 certainly was. Um, but that's been a really significant part of my journey, that learning to listen to the will of God. And, and, and I actually didn't really get tempted by anything particularly of the world that people typically do because I just looked on it and I just went, oh, that just seems foolish I could see what was happening to others and I guess I learned a lot from other people's mistakes Mm. I think being the youngest of three you kind of learn that skill early on yeah I was not to say I didn't go ahead sorry (laughs) not to say that I didn't make mistakes I made lots Mm. of mistakes but but in terms of like major choices um I don't think that stuff really grabbed me I think the devil was a lot more subtle with me he had to be. He had to be much more sneaky. Mm. And I think, I think for me, the big trap was complacency. You know, being materialistic, having you know the perfect little family and life, and um, <laughs> that was that was the trap for me. Right. Okay. Look, I was the oldest child, and uh, unfortunately, I had to make my own mistakes and learn from my own, uh, own mistakes. And <laughs> probably the fact that I'm a bit stubborn and a little bit slow to learn sometimes doesn't help. But it, it, wonderful that you could look to your parents and also your siblings and then sort of learn through some of their experiences. But, you know, as you were saying, you know, life is not necessarily perfect. So at what age would you, if you had to recall, what age did you actually make a decision for the Lord? And say, listen, this is something that I want to do. I want to continue my relationship with the Lord, but I want to make that full commitment. Does it, is there a time that stands I, out for you, or is it more gradual than that? I can honestly not say that that has ever been my experience. You know, I was thinking the other day, a friend of my a family died, and I remember as little kids, I must have been about six, would you believe? Hmm. And I would debate theology with my you're kidding at the age of six i was just ridiculous um i used to have dolls and i'd line them all up on the bed and i'd preach to them (laughs) and with such fervor and passion i never thought i'd be a minister i never ever imagined i'd be a missionary it wasn't on my agenda ever Mm. but i did know that i loved god with all my heart and i was passionate about it i would 
argue my point of view <laughs> yeah. to my friends. They must have thought I was a nutcase. I don't know. I have plenty of friends. <laughs> wow. That, that is incredible. Yeah, as like I said, occasionally we get some people with a testimony like yours and they've just loved mm. the Lord from the time and they can really remember and it was just a gradual process. So one decision after the other mm. was just a natural progression of their relationship with Jesus. Mm. Yeah. I remember wanting to be baptized at the age of 10. I'd done all the baptismal studies with the pastor for a whole year mm. and I wanted to be baptized and my parents said, no, you're too young. And so I went back the next year and I did the classes all over again. And they said, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess you really do want to be baptized. So you were baptized at quite a young age. I was 11, yeah, but I was so determined, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, there are some children, and I've even read it in some of Ella White's writings, that children at that age who have made a, a decision for the Lord, they are sincere, they know their scriptures, you know, they've done the studies, and there's no reason mm. why they should not get baptized. I was 15, and even mm. at the age of 15 when I was baptized, I can't say that I, I knew the things that I know now. I actually... I don't think I was truly converted, but I was sincere at the time. You know, based on what I knew, mm -hmm. I thought I was making the right decision, and it was the right decision to make. It's just subsequent to that that I learned mm. a few more things in regards to the lukewarm legacy <laughs> and condition and so on. So praise, <laughs> praise God for your testimony. That is really encouraging. Yeah, it is. So, so um, we're, in, we're now talking to you in Uganda via Skype. A lot of things would have changed between you know your life experiences in New Zealand and Australia to that time, but perhaps before we just start talking about Uganda, how you ended up um, ended up there, um, your connection with the Lord and you're spending that time in the morning is that something you've pretty much done from that time onwards till now? Is it still something that's important to you? It is. It's still the lifeblood of who I am and what I do. It's. It's a non-negotiable. Mm. Um, there's a cute little book, I think it's by Bill Hybels, that's called Too Busy Not to Pray. Right. Um, but it's, it's such a good title, Too Busy Not to Pray. You know, there is too much to do <laughs> to mm. not have God coordinating my life and making it efficient and focused in the right direction. Yeah, isn't that incredible? That's just another way of looking at it. Some people are too busy to pray, and they, you know, before they know it, the day's over, and they haven't spent that time with the Lord yet. And that can easily mm. happen. But if you know you're going to be busy, then especially you gotta, you gotta spend time in prayer. Mm. And I think it even was Martin Luther who made that comment. You know that um, he prays mm. typically two hours a day, and on busy days even more. I'm paraphrasing mm. that yeah. somewhat, but yeah, that's that's what he said. So <laughs> prayer is very important. Now, what I've liked about what you've said so far is that you talk about that relationship with, with Jesus and how God would speak to you in the early hours of the morning. You'd spend time in his word, so he'd talk to you through his word, and you'd speak back to him in prayer. Um, that's really, it's a two-way communication, and that's how you grow a relationship. Without communication, there can be no growth, and there can't be a relationship. Mm. And it has to be honest. You know, sometimes we think that our prayer life has to be, you know, in King James Version English. Mm. Well, here's a, here's a newsflash. The Bible wasn't written in King James English. Um, and 
Jesus didn't speak that. Um, yes. And Jesus was very real. He he dealt with very real, very human, very sinful people. Hmm. And I don't think they used flowery language. So for me, it's very basic language. And I'm incredibly honest. If I'm angry, I express my anger hmm. as I would to anyone who would be in the room. If I'm upset, I use... You know, the words I would use when I was speaking to anyone, if I'm sad or if I, you know, if mm. I am confused, I just say, look, I'm really confused. And I I, I, I admit that. And mm. I think mm. that's how a real relationship grows. I think if we are just saying what we think God wants to hear, it's impossible to have that kind of open relationship with him. Sure, because it's not real. It's like you're saying, you know, God knows everything anyway. We can't hide <laughs> anything from God. So it's yeah. just important that we are authentic in our, in our walk with him and our talk with him and our discussions. And the fact to just use simple language, you know, the, the, uh, the New Testament was written in Korne Greek, which is the common Greek language of the people. It wasn't written in mm, the high mm. The High Greek, mm. and I guess mm. if people refer to King James now, they probably think of it more like the the Queen's English, um, although it is mm. old, old English at the moment. So yeah, thank you for it's bringing old English. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for bringing that point out. Yeah, God deals with us in our current environment. God is a contemporary God, and what I mean by that is God is a God that deals with us where we are and where we find ourselves in time. Of course, God sits outside of time. But God is a God that relates to us right where we are. And we need that because we need a God that can help us with our current issues mm. and our mm. current needs. Well, listen, uh, I appreciate the, the introduction to, uh, to your life and what you experienced here. <laughs> now, what we want to do after this break when we come back is we want to start unpacking why you are in Uganda of all places. And, of course, as we, <laughs> as we started the program, we discovered that your grandparents were missionaries. Your parents were missionaries, and now you're a missionary yourself. So was it just something that's in the genetics, or is there something more to it? So <laughs> we look forward to you explaining that to us a little bit further after this short break, and we will be right back. Okay. Welcome to the Minute That Makes a Difference. I'm Margot Marshall. What difference do relationships make to our health? A profound difference. Eight large-scale studies found that socially isolated people had two to five times the risk of premature death from all causes, compared to those who had a strong sense of connection and community. No wonder the World Health Organization includes social health in its definition of wellness. We were created for social relationship. And the quality of social relationships has been found to be even more important than the quantity. So make quality time with your family and friends a priority. Maybe join a community group, because people need people, and relationships make a difference. Welcome back. I'm Etienne McClintock, and you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest... All the way from Uganda via Skype is Linnell Cassie. Linnell, it's been wonderful just hearing your testimony so far that you were brought up and born to parents who were missionaries, although their missionary activity stopped a little while while you were born and, you, and they started a family, but they spent time in New Zealand and also in Australia in the ministry. And then subsequent to your graduation, I think they went back to missionary work in other parts of the world. 
And not That's only, right. Yeah, and not only that, your grandparents were missionaries as well in India, from what I, I recall. And now yes. you find yourself doing missionary work in Africa and Uganda. Now, I'm curious, how did you <laughs> end up in Uganda of all places? Wow. You know, before I came here, I didn't even know where I was. Is that right? <laughs> um, I need to go back a little bit. Sure. No, so please do. I, part of my, my spiritual journey was, was really coming to terms with what passages of Scripture really meant for me. So hmm. as I would read Scripture each morning, I would maybe have five verses. It just depended on what I was reading. And I would go, okay, God, I've read this passage I understand what it means theologically. How do you want me to apply it? Right. Okay, so that was a really big part of what was going on. And at the same time as I was reading through Scripture, um, it's probably about eight years ago now, Hmm. um, I woke in the night and... It wasn't just waking in the night. I felt that God was calling me just like the story of God calling Samuel. Mm. And Samuel went and said, Eli, what, what is it that you want? And eventually they figured out it was God calling him. Well, that happened to me. Wow. And all I could do was respond, here I am, send me. I felt God calling me to mission. Mm. And I just said, I'm willing to go wherever you you see fit, wherever you know I can be a blessing. But I did place a disclaimer on it. I said, don't send me on my own. I'm an incredibly extroverted person. Mm. <laughs> I, I do not thrive well in isolation. Yes. And so God connected me with someone who also had a passion for mission. And it all came down to really the verse in Matthew 24, verse 14. It talks about the condition of the earth before Jesus returns. Um, That whole passage of Matthew 24 is talking, Jesus telling his disciples how they will know it's time for him to return. Mm. And Verse 14 specifically says that the gospel will go to all nations Mm. before he comes. And as I studied that, it became apparent that 42% of the world's people groups have not heard the gospel yet. 42%. 42%. Joshua Project is a website that anyone can go to and it tracks the progress of the gospel. Um. It's a fascinating site. You can just spend a couple of hours looking at it and seeing where people are working. It's really interesting. Mm. So and it's called Joshua, I, Joshua Project. Joshua Project, yes. Okay. Um, just type that into your browser, you know, I don't know what you call it, into yeah, your inter- search internet, bar. Yeah. That's the one. Yep, yeah, Google or whatever you use. Come up. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It will come up, and there is so much information on there. You can spend weeks 
So um, I knew that this was the case um, and I kind of went to a few places. I went to Malaysia and um, there were teaching opportunities there in Adventist schools. I went to um, the Solomon Islands and I had a wonderful time there in mission um, just in my vacation um, okay. working on, on a school there. But none of it really felt like it was reaching the unreached. Working in an Adventist school, there's already people who know and love Jesus. Mm. And, you know, why can't they do the job? Sure. <laughs> they can, you know. Yeah. This is a calling to take the gospel to the world. You know, Matthew 28 is Jesus' last words before he ascended to heaven. Mm. And, and if it's the last words that you say to anybody, you make it something significant. You don't say in on your diet with your dying breath to your children, don't forget to turn the dishwasher on. Yes. That doesn't enter the picture. No. You actually tell them the most important thing. You know, you'd say, I love you so much. And by the way, I've amassed a fortune and it's, buried underneath the clothesline there's enough there for the rest of your life you know mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing you tell them so jesus was giving us the gold here this was the treasure and it was taking the gospel to the world he says and i'll be with you always well that's golden yeah, absolutely he, he he gave us a job to do and you know we often say why hasn't jesus come back why does he delay mm. And I feel that he's turning to us and he's saying, well, why haven't you taken the gospel to the world already? That's right. It's like little children. We tell them, you know, when you've picked up the Lego, you can come and I've got milk and cookies in the kitchen. And the child does a little stomp and says, I don't want to do that. I want my milk and cookies now. And we do this with God. We're saying, come back now. This world is yucky. We want to go home to heaven. And he's saying, just pick up your Lego first. Go and take my gospel to the world. Wow. (laughs) I I love that analogy. And and the text you're using, they are very pertinent because it's very clear there from Matthew 24, 14 that the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom we preach as a witness to the whole world, and then the end would come. And subsequent to that, you're saying, talking about the world conditions, you know, verse 6 says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And then it says, Mm. but the end is not yet. And then, of course, it talks about pestilences and famines and earthquakes in various places. And it says all these Mm -hmm. are the beginning of sorrows. So if we look into those Mm -hmm. signs, they tell us that the time is near, but that doesn't bring the end. It's the preaching of the gospel like you brought out. So thank you for bringing that out. I think a very important Mm. point. Hmm. Wow. So well, you, you read, you're reading those texts. You were deeply convicted by them. And now you end up mm-hmm. doing some missionary activities around the Pacific. But you feel that there are some people who could do those work that work anyway about the gospel. So that doesn't quite satisfy the calling that you felt in your heart. That's correct. So God coordinated me meeting someone else who shared that passion. Mm. And um, he, his name was Jean Cater. He's from the UK. He was originally from Mauritius. And he was, um, he had worked with Adventist Frontier Missions okay. in India and in Papua New Guinea previously. So he had some experience and kind of knew what he was doing, mm. which gave me a little bit of confidence because I really didn't know what I was doing, just knew that, I was called to do something and that I desperately wanted to fulfill that calling. Yes. Um, 
And because he had done a lot of study in Africa, he was very passionate about Africa. He was determined that this is where he was going to go. So we jumped on the Joshua Project and we did it separately. So I prayed in Australia and he prayed in the UK and we came back um, 24 hours later um, with the top three people groups we felt we were being led to, we most felt called to. As we looked at the site and we read the people groups, you know, which ones really tugged at our heart. Yes. Prayerfully, yeah. And, um, of course, the Holy Spirit is incredibly consistent. And um, I felt called to Karamojong and so did he, the Karamojong people. The Karamojong, okay. Karamojong. Karamojong, so, okay. Kar- yeah, Karamojong is in the northeastern part of Uganda, and it's the part of Uganda that everyone forgot. It's really? been torn apart. It's the poorest of the poor. It's yeah, it's one of the poorest people on the face of the planet, actually. Oh, really? Um, and they're not in step with the rest of Uganda. Uganda is an incredibly fertile place hmm. for growing things, and the gospel's going forward, except in Karamoja. Karamoja was completely not reached. <laughs> There are no Adventist churches in Karamoja when we first came here four years ago. You know, it it's, it was so backward. The people yeah, wow. still wander around naked. Um, they have no money. It's absolutely torn by drought and famine. And then occasionally they'd get all of their 10 years of rain in one hit and they'd have flooding and that would destroy everything as well. It's a tough, tough place. And this is where we both had it top of our list. Can you believe it? That is incredible. (laughs) So, so, I mean, you wouldn't by nature change the toughest place to go and minister, would you? So God must have been in that decision to (laughs) to bring the gospel. I'm just now, Uganda, where exactly in Africa is Uganda? So Uganda is in Central East Africa. So if you go halfway up the coast of Africa, you will get to Kenya. Yes. Kenya's on the coast. Mm -hmm. And then if you travel due west from Kenya, you will end up in Uganda. Okay. Um, We are a landlocked country, so we have Kenya to the um, east and we have Democratic Republic of Congo to the west. Okay. Just north of us, we have South Sudan, and I'm incredibly close to Kenya and South Sudan. Okay, you're up in that corner up there, right? Right up the top, yeah. Mm. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, no, incre- incredible. I've just actually gone to that Joshua Project website that you mentioned, and uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating uh, website. So it says there that the population yeah. is just under 42 million. Uh, the total people groups is 67. Unreached people groups are five. So you're in one of those unreached people groups there then. Well, they were unreached, it's should I say. They're not unreached anymore, I tell you. Praise, <laughs> praise the Lord. Mm. But the whole idea of paradigm missions, you know, part of the paradigm of Jesus that I spoke to you about earlier that I didn't mention is that he made disciples. He trained those people to do what he was doing and taking the gospel. 
and that's part of what we're doing here. So first of all, we come and we demonstrate the love of Jesus, and love is a very bizarre concept here. It does not exist. Really? So that's hard. Wow. So hard, yeah, I imagine that would be hard if it's a it's a different concept of love there to what you um, what we are used to in the West. They don't even have the word love. It doesn't even exist. Mm. <laughs> so that's tricky. Um, so first of all, we demonstrate the love of Jesus. We we teach them about the scriptures, you know, and praise God, the Holy Spirit is amazing that they are really, really open to the scriptures. These are people who've been practicing witchcraft. Wow. <laughs> you know, and mm. it's amazing. And at the end of a Sabbath school lesson, they'll say, oh, so the witch doctors have actually been lying to us. Wow, really? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> hmm. mm. And that, that's not something we told them. This is what they're concluding from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do, so you, do you guys, amazing. are you confronted with opposition to what you're doing there as well? I guess it's not all just smooth sailing. <laughs> well, um, last year I had 300 angry women from a neighboring village come and attack. That wasn't pleasant. They were jealous, actually. So they came and attacked where you live? Well, no, I don't live in the village. I actually live in town on the Adra compound. I'm incredibly lucky to be able to live here. But the Mm. village is 11 kilometres out of town, and um, I don't live there. I would never have a moment's peace. Everyone would be staring at me, and I would be exhausted. (laughs) Um, So they came to attack. And, you know, that morning I was so sick. I'd come home to pick up something I'd forgotten and I collapsed on the floor in the house with typhoid. Oh. And at that same time that I was in the house collapsing, those women were attacking the village with sticks. Anyone who was involved in building, donating land, um, were friends of mine. They beat them. They tried to knock the houses down and set them on fire. They took absolutely every possession that they had. Um, one woman was just left with a skirt. She turned up in town completely bare-chested, nothing. Uh, poor woman had nothing. It took me a little while to figure it out and go home and get her some clothes to put on. Yeah. But... um. They were angry. They were just jealous. And it's crazy because I work with one of the poorest villages. It had absolutely no buildings, nothing. And the village that attacked them, they have many villages. They even have a hospital. Oh, really? So just just something that's curious to me, is it quite a matriarchal society? Because the the fact that the women are attacking instead of the men attacking is is quite a curious thing to me. The women came with this ridiculous plan. It's not really a matriarchal society. It's Mm. patriarchal. The women do do the work and the men make the decisions. Okay. (laughs) Right, so it's quite cushy Um, for the men then, is it? It's pretty cool. If you're a man, you sleep under a tree all day. And tell hunting stories. It's incredibly boring. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's exactly. And make decisions about... The women, <laughs> wow, who are out there working in the gardens and cutting the firewood and carrying the water and caring for the children. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a tough life for women. Yeah, I wouldn't I want to imagine. be a Karamajong woman. Mm, mm. Yeah, so 
They had made up this story that I was a witch and I was preventing the rains and that as long as the building stood in Nawapit village, the rains wouldn't come. They also said I was pre- I was causing miscarriages. Wow. <sighs> anyway, they made up this story. Mm-hmm. It was three of them. And they went round the women and they gave the women a choice. They could join them or they could give them 2,000 shillings to buy booze so that they could have energy for the um, for the mission mm. to come and beat us up, or they would be beaten. So, <laughs> so they're pretty much between a rock and a hard place. Yes, many of the women didn't have 2,000 shillings and they didn't want to be beaten, so they joined the mob mm. and they came. And, of course, the building is made of bricks and steel and cement and they had sticks so you know knocking down the building just wasn't going to happen okay so the building's still standing the people instead the building is still standing i think they broke a couple of locks and not really much else Mm. (laughs) yeah wow and and the poor people in the village how did they survive the ordeal you're saying the one lady there you know barely escaped and only had a skirt on so frightened, just so frightened. And the police came and rounded up quite a lot of them. The prison here, it's funny because I do prison ministry. <laughs> I go to the prison every Saturday and we have church in the prison. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it's it's a wonderful thing. But um, the prison was full of these women. They only really have space for about 10 women in the prison. And they arrested 40 and put them in there. So there was not even room for them to lie on the floor and sleep. They had to take turns. They didn't have enough clothes for them to wear prison uniforms, so they had to wear men's prison uniform. And on Fridays they'd go before the magistrate and the magistrate would say, how do you plead? And they'd say, not guilty. And, of course, they were caught red-handed. So he'd say, back to prison for you. Bye-bye. Think about it some more. And every Friday this would happen. So this is a very different judicial system to what we have in Australia, obviously. Uh, it's quite different. Yeah. yeah. It's very different. So you go into yeah. do prison ministries and some of these ladies have gone to attack and have been accusing you falsely <laughs> and have brought these other people along. you now in the prison and you see them in the prison. So are there any stories that have come from that? <laughs> no, there's none. Um, I, yeah, for some reason I never really encountered them. Hmm. Nothing really came of that, but they actually became the laughing stock of the town, and we've never had any more problem from then. Um, the the town recognises that Christianity brings development, that it brings peace, um, mm. and they welcome us. They really do welcome us. Isn't that incredible? But the devil's still on my case. He does everything. He's had all my money stolen. He's had my car broken down. He's attacked my health. He's taken away my work partner. You know, every little thing, um, even even <laughs> bizarre, three weeks ago we started praying for a man, his name's Emmanuel, that he would come to know the Lord and Two days after that, of course, he was thrown from his motorcycle by another motorcycle that knocked him. And 
came very close to dying. He broke oh. his occipital bone <laughs> oh. in his head, literally broke his head. Um, and he's very, very fortunate to be oh. alive. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he's the husband of the nurse of my clinic, so the clinic's been closed. The devil is constantly sending interference. Mm. <laughs> but it just makes me more determined, I think. You know, the devil will not win. I claim this place in the name of Jesus. And I've been praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And um, I was arrogant enough that that would just happen you know, amongst my work and amongst my contacts. Yes. And I went to visit um, Saturday afternoon. I'd finished prison ministry and I went, I felt impressed to go and visit um, some missionaries in a neighbouring town who I know are from America and they're not, um, I think they're Baptists actually. Okay. kind of not important what denomination but anyway I we've made friends they're lovely people and I went to visit them and when I turned up we we sat and we chatted about our ministries and how it's going and what it was like going home and all of that and then he said you know please excuse the mess in their home they have a beautiful home and he said please excuse the mess because we've actually made a decision to keep the seventh day as a Sabbath and we don't cook or clean or do any work on Saturdays. He goes, oh, you'd understand that. He said, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. And I was just blown away. I was just blown away. And, you know, I've never, ever preached to them about the Sabbath. I've never presented it. Um, We've just been, you know, encouragers of one another Mm. in ministry here. And all on their own, the Holy Spirit has convicted them to make the Sabbath a special day because they need that balance in their life. That is incredible. You know, I'm convinced, and I'm convinced of this more and more every day as I hear people's testimonies like you, yours, and also, you know, my own personal experience, that it's not us. It's not what we do or we say. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, God wants to work with us. He's calling us to share the gospel, but we need to do it Mm. in prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to work, that angels will be by our side, that the Holy Spirit will speak to the hearts and minds of people. And, you know, that old saying, people would rather see a sermon uh, you know, then hear a sermon. So, in other words, we've got to be a sermon mm. in shoes, like that old little song used to say. Mm, mm, yeah, but it's look, a great I, sermon. I am encouraged by your uh, by your tenacity and also <laughs> bravery, dare I say it. And while you were talking about you know the breaking down some of those strongholds and not giving up, uh, that reminded me of that text in Second Corinthians chapter ten, uh, where it says that though we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. So you're involved in a mm. spiritual warfare for this. Says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down mm. arguments and every high thing that exalts mm. itself against the knowledge of God. So praise it's God. It's a battle for the mind. Yes, it is. Yeah, amen. Mm. And, and, and you've given up all the comforts that we have here in Australia. <laughs> To go and share the gospel, and you weren't entirely satisfied with your initial experiences in doing some level of missionary work. God has called you to one of the poorest places on this planet to go and share the gospel and to live it amongst those people. 
You know, there's something wonderful about knowing that you're exactly where God means you to be Mm. and you're doing what he wants you to do. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I have no um, electricity, no refrigerator, no hot water, and I'm incredibly happy. I kind of equate it to being a storeman in the warehouse of God Mm. You know, all I'm doing is I'm taking the blessings that God has and that he gives to me to distribute. That's it. And it's a privilege. It is such a privilege. God doesn't need Linnell Cassie to do this. Yes. He doesn't need me, but he invites me to be a part of it and I get the blessing. And it's amazing. I wish... Every Christian could have this opportunity because the reality is you learn to live by faith. You know, Mm. faith involves risk. Otherwise, it's just logic, and that's not faith. Yes, I agree. Faith involves stepping out and Mm. doing something where you cannot control all the pieces. And God is exactly like those Uncle Arthur bedtime stories that we grew up with. Yes. People say, God doesn't answer prayer like that. I go, "Uh uh-uh, he does. And there's a reason why he does that for me. And that's because when we ask for things for his kingdom work, the answer is always yes. When we are asking for selfish things, (laughs) Does God really care whether I get a new red car or a blue car? Or He doesn't mm. really mm. care. That's not important. That is so I mean, true. He, he does want to give us things. Yes, of course. He does want to. But what he wants to give us is so much more than what we can conceive of. Mm. And 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 it's it's the most affirming thing for your Christian experience to step out and serve him in a way that might not even make sense because really this probably doesn't make much sense. But honestly, when I when I finish a Sabbath and there are now 250 people worshipping on Sabbath where there were just three. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> over, over what, how many years is this now? So I, I was coming just in my vacation time twice a year for two years, and I've been here for two years full-time now. So, uh, f- Okay, two years full-time and two years part-time, but, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, praise God. Yeah. That is a wonderful testimony. Look, we're just going to go to a quick break where we can share our contact details in case people listen to this testimony and perhaps want to make contact with you. You're welcome to share that. But when we come back, we only have a couple of minutes to wrap it up, and then you can tell us how you are um, funded in the things that you do. So who pays your salary, et cetera, et cetera. So we look, we look forward to hearing about that shortly after this, this short break. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 024973 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. 
Welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony and my special guest all the way from Uganda via Skype, Linnell Cassie. Linnell, just before the break, we were talking about you know, the work that you're doing there and I'm wondering, who funds your work? Where do you get the money and the means to live from? <laughs> well, originally I spent two years fundraising to um, be able to do this, mm. but we have certainly depleted all of that money now and I think my savings have disappeared as well, wow. just trying to live. So now it, at the moment it's just donors. So if people would like to contribute to this ministry, it's just amazing. There are so many more villages that I would like to reach out to. Um, and as soon as we have money, of course, that's what we will do. Mm. So if people want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Okay, so if you want to get in touch with me, um, check out the website, paradigmmissions.org, and um, you can send me a message via that, or you can send me an email to linnell at paradigmmissions.org, or Facebook has lots of video clips and photos of what we're doing here as well. Mm. So there's plenty of ways to, to see what's happening. And, and there's heaps, heaps and heaps of things happening. Yeah, I've just gone on. The, there's a lot of photos and you can see people in the church, you guys outside of the church, people working and building a church and working in the land. It's incredible. So there's a lot of information there. Um I really have to say that I have been inspired by your raw faith, that you're living there by faith. You <laughs> used up all your resources and means. Obviously, you're not on a super program planning for a great retirement. You're there to serve the Lord, no. and, and you're living by faith and, and expecting God to provide as he said he would. And he does. Yeah, we praise, we praise God for that. So, dear listener, <laughs> you're a faith-based ministry, obviously, with Paradigm Missions, just like we are 3ABN. But, dear listener, if you want to get yes. in touch with them, it's Paradigm Missions. And, of course, if God is impressing you to uh, to send uh, some supporting funds to help them out, you, you might be working. You'd love to be doing this, but you can't at the moment for whatever reason. There are people out there who can help You can help and and. and be part of God's work, even though you aren't in Uganda yourself. Linnell, we just want to thank you for sharing your testimony here today and how God's called you to this incredible work in the poorest part of this earth or this planet. And uh, we mm. just praise him for those 250 precious souls who are now believers in Jesus and are waiting for his soon return. They're Seventh-day Adventists. And we just pray that God will continue to bless your ministry there as you serve him. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Etienne, for the invitation. You're welcome. And dear listener, I know you would have been blessed by just as I have been. And please join us next time as we share more of what God has done in the lives of ordinary people just like you and me who have answered the call of Jesus Christ and now living an incredible, not only a testimony, but an adventure in the Lord. Until next time. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.